0: Section six of Famous Adventures and Prison Escapes of the Civil War by various. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section six Mosby's Partisan Rangers by A. E. Richards. During the early stages of the war between the states, the Confederate Congress enacted a statute known as the Partisan Ranger Act, which provided for independent bodies of cavalry to be organized as other government troops. The officers were to be regularly commissioned and the men to be paid like other soldiers. The distinctive features were that the Rangers should operate independently of the regular army and be entitled to the legitimate spoil captured from the enemy. While John S. Mosby was employed as a scout by General J. E. B. Stewart, he had concluded that a command organized and operated as contemplated by this act could do great damage to the enemy guarding that portion of northern virginia abandoned by the confederate armies but the partisan branch of the service having been brought into disrepute by the worse-than-futile efforts of others his superior officers at first refused him permission to engage in so questionable an enterprise finally however general stuart gave mosby a detail of nine men from the regular cavalry with which to experiment at that time the two main armies operating in virginia were confronting each other near fredericksburg to protect their lines of communication with washington the federals had stationed a considerable force across the potomac with headquarters at fairfax courthouse they also established a complete cordon of pickets from a point on the river above washington to a point below thus encompassing many square miles of virginia territory upon these outposts mosby commenced his operations the size of his command compelled him to confine his attacks to the small details made nightly for picket duty but he was so uniformly successful that when the time came for him to report back to general stuart that officer was so pleased with the experiment that he allowed mosby to select fifteen men from his old regiment and return for an indefinite period to his chosen field of operations his first exploits had been so noised abroad that the young men from the neighboring counties and the soldiers at home on furloughs would request permission to join in his raids he could easily muster fifty of these known as mosby's conglomerates for any expedition the opportunity for developing his ideas of border warfare was thus presented with great vigor he renewed his attacks upon the federal outposts as a recognition of one of his successful exploits the confederate government sent him a captain's commission with authority to raise a company of partisan rangers the material for this was already at hand and on june tenth eighteen sixty two he organized his first company this was the nucleus around which he subsequently shaped his ideal command. The fame of his achievements had already spread throughout Virginia and Maryland, and attracted to his standard many kindred spirits from both states. No conscripting was necessary. Those for whom this mode of warfare possessed a charm would brave hardship and danger for the privilege of enlisting under his banner." his recruits from maryland and many of those from virginia were compelled to pass through the federal pickets in order to join his command yet great care had to be exercised in the selection of his men and not every applicant was received if an unworthy soldier procured admission so soon as the mistake was discovered he was sent under guard as a conscript to the regular service Mosby reserved the right to select all of his officers, who were invariably chosen from those who had already demonstrated their fitness for this particular service. It has been said of a great military hero that the surest proof of his genius was his skill in finding out genius in others, and his promptness in calling it into action. Mosby, in his limited sphere, displayed a similar talent, and to this faculty almost as much as any one thing may be attributed his success with his enlarged command when a sufficient number of men had enlisted to form a new company he would have them drawn up in line and his adjutant would read to them the names of those selected for officers with the announcement that all who were not in favor of their election could step out of the ranks and go to the regular service of course no one ever left in order to comply with the law the form of an election was then gone through with and their commander's choice ratified in no other body of troops were all the officers thus unanimously elected mosby's command as finally organized consisted of eight companies of cavalry and one of mounted artillery officered by a colonel a lieutenant-colonel and a major with the usual complement of company officers but the entire force was seldom combined instead of this they would be divided into two or more detachments operating in different places so it was not at all unusual for an attack to be made the same night upon Sheridan's line of transportation in the valley, upon the pickets guarding the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad, upon the outposts at Fairfax County, and upon the rear of the army maneuvering against Lee. This explains what at the time seemed to many of the readers of the northern newspapers a mystery, how Mosby's men could be in so many different places at the same time the safety and success of the rangers were enhanced by these subdivisions the federals having become so alert as to make it extremely difficult for a large command either to evade their pickets or maneuver within their lines from fifty to one hundred men were all that were usually marched together and many of their most brilliant successes were achieved with even a smaller force mosby had only twenty men with him when he captured brigadier-general edwin h stoughton with these he penetrated the heart of the federal camp and carried off its commander general stoughton was in charge of an army of cavalry infantry and artillery with headquarters at fairfax courthouse one dark night in march eighteen sixty three Mosby, with his small detachment, evaded the Federal pickets, passed through the sleeping army, and with their campfires gleaming all around him and their sentinels on duty, aroused their general from his slumbers and took him captive with thirty-seven of his comrades. But the novelty of Mosby's mode of warfare consisted chiefly in the manner of subsisting, quartering, and protecting his men. The upper portion of Loudoun and Farquhar counties, embracing a circuit of about thirty miles in diameter, was then known as Mosby's Confederacy. By a glance at the map, it will be observed that it bordered upon the Blue Ridge Mountains on the west and the Bull Run Mountains on the east. The valley between is one of the richest, most beautiful, and highly cultivated in the state of Virginia it was thickly inhabited with old virginia families who were loyal and true to the southern cause these people received mosby's men into their houses as their guests and neither danger nor want could tempt their betrayal robin hood's band sought safety in the solitudes of sherwood forest Marion's men secreted themselves in the pleasant wilds of Snow's Island and other South Carolina swamps, but the partisan rangers of Virginia protected themselves by dispersing in an open country among a sympathizing people. They never established a camp. To have done so would have invited capture. Each soldier had his boarding house, where he lived when off duty, as a member of the family from these they would come singly or in groups bringing their rations with them to some designated rendezvous march rapidly to and from the point of attack send their prisoners under guard to the nearest confederate post divide the spoil and disperse if they were pursued by an overwhelming force as was frequently the case the evening found them scattered to the four winds where each man mounted upon his own fleet steed could protect himself from capture if the federals attempted to follow the chase in small parties the rangers from behind every hill and grove would concentrate and dash upon them if they marched in solid column the rangers would hang upon their flanks firing upon them from behind trees fences and hilltops in this way general julius Stell, who had invaded mosby's confederacy with two brigades of cavalry and four pieces of artillery for the avowed purpose of utterly demolishing the rangers was so annoyed that he retired thoroughly disgusted with an enemy who only fought when they got their foe at a disadvantage As there were no civil officers commissioned by either party in all that section of Virginia, the people naturally turned to Mosby as their only representative of law and order. It was not unusual for them to submit their property controversies to him for decision. In this way, he acquired a civil jurisdiction in connection with his military dictatorship." Being a lawyer by profession, educated at the University of Virginia, his civil administration became as remarkable for its prudence and justice as his military leadership was for magnanimity and dash. I heard an old citizen remark, for two years Mosby was our ruler and the country never was better governed. He protected the people from stragglers and deserters who pillaged friend and foe alike. Every captured horse-thief was promptly executed. He required his own men to treat the citizens with fairness and courtesy, and any violation of this rule was punished by sending the offender to the regular service. Its observance was more easily enforced than would appear possible at first glance. The men were scarcely ever off-duty except for necessary rest the officers were then distributed among them and by their example and authority controlled when necessary the deportment of their men the citizens with whom they lived also exercised a healthy influence over them these relations engendered many attachments that ran like golden threads through the soldier's life and outlived the rough usages of war it thus became no easy matter to drive the rangers from a territory so dear to them and in which they were befriended by all on two occasions the entire federal army operating against general lee passed through mosby's confederacy and yet his men did not abandon it they hid themselves in the mountains during the day and descended upon the enemy at night they thus observed every movement of the federal army and all valuable information was promptly sent to the confederate general on one of these occasions june seventeenth eighteen sixty three mosby found himself at ten o'clock at night between the infantry and cavalry commands of general hooker's army observing three horses hitched near a house with an orderly standing by he left his command with the prisoners already captured and taking with him three men rode up to the orderly and was informed by him that the horses belonged to major william e Sterling and another officer in a whisper he said to the orderly my name is mosby keep quiet the man understood him to say that he the orderly was mosby and very indignantly replied no sir i am as good a union man as ever walked the earth those are just the sort i am after said mosby just then the two officers emerged from the house as they approached one of the rangers stretched out his hand to disarm the major Supposing him to be an acquaintance, Major Sterling offered his hand in return, but was overwhelmed with surprise when informed that he was a prisoner. Upon examination, he was found to be the bearer of important dispatches from General Hooker to his chief of cavalry, General Pleasanton. These dispatches, which developed the contemplated movements of the army and directed the cooperation of the cavalry, were placed in General Stuart's hands by dawn of day on this and many similar occasions information furnished by the rangers proved invaluable to the confederate generals but furnishing information was not the most important service they rendered it has been fairly estimated that they detained on guard duty thirty thousand federal soldiers who otherwise might have been employed at the front even then the federal lines of transportation were constantly being attacked with more or less success It was impossible to protect them against such reckless activity as the Rangers were constantly displaying. No matter how vigilant the Federals were, Mosby was sure to find an opportunity for attacking. Sometimes his success would lie in the very boldness of the attempt. This was never more strikingly illustrated than in one of his attacks upon Sheridan's line of transportation. The Federal arm, which had driven General Early up the valley beyond Winchester, was drawing its supplies over the turnpike from Harper's Ferry. Mosby, taking a command of five companies of cavalry and two mountain howitzers, numbering 250 men, passed at night across the Blue Ridge, and fording the Shenandoah, halted a few miles below Berryville. Riding out to the turnpike, he discovered in his immediate front two large trains parked for the night, one going toward the enemy loaded, the other returning empty. He determined to capture the former, composed of 150 wagons. At daybreak, it commenced to move, guarded by a brigade of infantry and 250 cavalry. The train and its guard were soon strung along the turnpike the cavalry rode on the flank near the center a company of infantry marched in front of each tenth wagon and the remaining force was distributed between the rear and advance guards it was a bright summer morning and just as the sun was rising the rangers marched across the open fields and halted about four hundred yards from the road and within full view of the moving train observing the federal cavalry dismounted across the road a quarter of a mile to his left mosby sent two companies of his cavalry and one howitzer with orders to take a position immediately opposite them and there await the signal of attack which was to be three shots fired from the howitzer left behind this detachment did not halt until it was within seventy-five yards of the moving train of course the federals observed all these maneuvers but were misled by their very boldness they never imagined but what this new force was a part of their own army so when the first shot which fell short was fired from the howitzer several of their officers rode to the eminence not more than thirty steps in front of the detached confederate squadron and lifting their glasses to their eyes prepared to witness what they supposed to be artillery practice just then the second shell from the howitzer burst in the midst of their cavalry who supposing it had been fired in that direction through mistake hastily prepared to move beyond range immediately the rebel yell was raised and the squadron dashed at the federals scattering them in every direction and capturing the officers with their glasses still in their hands Turning abruptly to the left, the rangers charged along the road, riding over company after company of infantry until checked by a volley from the advance guard. At the same time, another squadron had struck the turnpike immediately in front of their first position, and turning to the right had ridden down everything between them and the rear guard. Then, with one howitzer playing upon the advance and the other upon the rear guard, the rangers rapidly collected their prisoners, unhitched the teams, and burned the wagons. When reinforcements reached the Federals, they deployed their skirmishers and advanced in line of battle, only to see the rangers riding over the hills in the distance, taking with them 300 prisoners, 700 mules and horses, and 230 beef cattle but the rejoicing of the rangers was almost turned into chagrin when they learned from the northern papers that one of the wagons from which they had taken the mules was loaded with an iron safe containing one million dollars to pay off the army upon reading it mosby dropped the paper with a sigh exclaiming there's a cool million gone after it was fairly earned what other man could sustain such losses with so little embarrassment but this failure of the rangers to secure their earnings did not always attend them shortly after that they collected a sufficient amount of dues to enable them to determine upon greenbacks as the future currency of their confederacy it happened in this wise Taking with him 75 men, Mosby crossed at an early hour of the night in rear of Sheridan's army and struck the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad above Harper's Ferry near Duffield Station. Here they prized up one side of the track to a height of four feet, placing a secure foundation under it. Soon the night express came rushing along. The engine upset, and the train came to a stand without serious injury to the passengers immediately the cars were boarded and everyone in federal uniform captured among the prisoners were two paymasters majors moore and ruggles who had in a satchel and tin box a hundred and sixty-eight thousand dollars in greenbacks to pay off the troops stationed along the road securing this rich booty the strangers burned the cars and repassed sheridan's pickets before the day had dawned the money was divided upon reaching their confederacy each man receiving something over two thousand dollars mosby taking nothing only the men who participated in a particular raid were allowed to share in its spoil the officer who commanded the expedition always controlled the distribution it was seldom there was anything to divide except horses and their equipments those who had distinguished themselves in the fight were allowed the first choice as a reward for their gallantry the shares of the others being divided by lot this system by rewarding individual merit encouraged a healthy rivalry among the men and at the same time removed all inducement to leave the fight for plunder often when a charge was ordered a genuine horse race followed the swiftest steeds leading the way in this manner the men were mounted and equipped without expense to themselves or the confederate government on the contrary the army quartermaster kept an agent in mosby's confederacy to purchase from the rangers their surplus stock and arms his standing price for a horse was forty dollars in gold but each ranger retained two or more of the best for his own use in this way they were always splendidly mounted i once heard a federal officer say he was not surprised that mosby's men rode such fine horses as they had both armies to pick from the cavalry was armed with pistols alone of which each man carried at least two Their superiority over all other arms for this branch of the service was frequently demonstrated. It is a weapon that can be used with one hand, leaving the other to guide the horse. Cavalry is never really efficient unless trained to rush into close contact with the enemy. To see the whites of their eyes is not sufficient. They must ride over the foe. In the rapid charge, the carbine is not only useless, but a positive encumbrance. The sabre is comparatively harmless. It serves to frighten the timid, but rarely ever deals a death wound. Let two men encounter each other in the charge, one relying upon his pistol and the other upon his sabre, and the former, though an ordinary marksman, will almost invariably get the better of his antagonist. The rangers realize their advantage in this respect, it encouraged them to rush into close quarters where the rapid discharge of their pistols soon told upon the enemy no matter how bravely they had withstood the onset i have seen the victory decided alone by the superiority of the pistol over the sabre where the opposing columns had crossed each other in the charge and wheeling had mingled in the fight but the rangers were compelled to discard the carbine and the sabre for other reasons than their inferiority in the hand-to-hand conflict it was always their policy to take the enemy by surprise if possible their favorite plan was to wind their way through the federal pickets during the night and make the attack at break of day the rattling of the carbine and sabre would have made it impossible to execute these movements with the silence necessary to success to the uninitiated it would be surprising to see with what noiseless secrecy these maneuvers could be accomplished only whispered commands were necessary from the officers and the presence of danger ensured silence in the ranks this silence which was observed so long as silence was proper served to make the charge with its shout and its cheer the more terrible to the foe but it must not be imagined the rangers were always successful. They were themselves sometimes surprised, sometimes repulsed. Nothing else could be expected from almost daily encounters in a country abandoned to the enemy. There were occasions when they were saved from total ruin only by their knowledge of the country and the swiftness of their steeds. End of section 6